Well, what's up, City Life Suffolk? How you guys doing? A couple of people are good, so uh, let me try that again. What's up, City Life Suffolk? All right, that was good. That was good. I know that that was like really deep, that video, so I think uh, we just got drawn in. But anyway, hello, welcome. Uh, let me first start by introducing myself. My name is David. I am the, the student ministries pastor uh, over at the Newport News campus, and so... Uh, some of you I know just by way of your awesome kids that I get to serve and see every Wednesday. And, and many of you I know just because we've been City Life fam for a long time. So uh, I've been a part of City Life for 11 years uh, since the beginning. And, uh, and so many of the people in this room I know already. But I'm just, I'm so pumped to be here tonight first to get to know all the rest of you that I don't know and to just kind of feel out what Suffolk is like, uh, another campus. We are one church with three campuses, and uh, I just was thinking as we were worshiping together today, yeah, this is different, and, and it looks different and, and feels different, but it's it still feels like home. It still feels like family. And so we are one church, and I just I happen to come from a different part of it or a different, uh, a different campus. And so I'm excited to be here for that reason. And also, I'm excited to be here because it means that Pastor Justin and Stephanie are on their way to India, if not there already, picking up uh, their, their little boy, Raj. And so uh, just for no other reason, if just that, I'm, I'm pumped to be here tonight. So anyway, well, well, I'm also excited not just to get to uh, meet you guys and get to know y'all, but, but I, I have a word that I'm excited to share. I got to uh, preach this last week at the Newport News campus, so hopefully... You didn't listen to the podcast. It's probably the only time I'll say that. Um, and if you did, you can just double down on your notes and kind of add layers, right? Uh, and so, and so, yeah. So we're just gonna dive in tonight. We're gonna talk about how to love. And uh, and if you've got your Bibles, you can turn them on and swipe to Luke chapter ten. Or if you're old school, who's old school? Who's got? Yeah, okay. If you're old school, uh, you can you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter ten. Verse 25, and if you're lazy, I got you. I anticipated. All right, so Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 33, it says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, by chance, everybody say, by chance. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked, everybody say looked, looked at him lying there. 
But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, one last time, compassion. See, look, I was testing to make sure you were paying attention. Felt compassion for him. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. God, I just, uh, in all the songs that we've uh, been singing tonight and just uh, the experience of being in your presence, God, we feel your love in this place tonight. And so we thank you for that. We receive it, God. And we also ask, Lord, that you would help us to love better. God, that, that you would help us to be your hands and your feet and your mirrors in this world. And, and just as you love us, God, help us to love the world around us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Awesome. Well, I'm here with my lovely, beautiful wife in the front and daughter uh, who <clears throat> is back in the nursery. And, uh, but, but Hannah and I, we've been married for five years. And uh, she gave me the thumbs up like, yeah, you're doing good. Uh, five years, and, uh, and we dated three years before that. So we've been together for a total of eight years. And uh, this, this past Valentine's Day, we were sitting down just kind of reminiscing, thinking about, man, we've, this is, I guess, our eighth Valentine's Day date, and, uh, and it feels like we're just, we've been in this for forever, right? Like, we know each other really well. We're, we're comfortable at this point, at this stage in our relationship, but we haven't always felt that comfortable, and it wasn't always as, uh, as easy as that. I remember just the awkward stages in the beginning. How many, who, who here is in a relationship romantically? like married. Why are people like afraid to ask? Ooh. All right. Okay. Um no, but we yeah, so so in the in the early stages of your relationship, those of you who have been together for a while, right now, if you've been together, hopefully, hopefully you're comfortable with each other, although I don't know after that response, but uh and you know each other well, hopefully. Uh, but in the beginning, there were some awkward stages, right? You were trying to get to know that person. That person was trying to get to know you and there there was so much vulnerability uh, and so much risk at at the uh, onset of that relationship. And so I think one of the most awkward times in a relationship uh, is that early stage, but also that stage right around you're, you're feeling like maybe I might love this person, right? Love, L-O-V-E, that, that, that big heavy word love. So I have a video that I want to show that I think demonstrates the awkwardness just perfectly uh, of, of what that stage kind of feels like. So let's take a look. You're so much fun. <laughs> like, you're so much fun. You're so much fun. Everything is better with you. No, everything's better with you. Everything is better with you. Everything is better when we do stuff together. That rhymed, and I regret saying no, it. No, I feel like we... <laughs> I really, really like you. Oh, I really, really, really like you. Obsessed with you. Like, healthy obsession. <laughs> okay, no stalking. No stalking. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like I've known you my whole life, or like I feel like I've wanted to meet you my whole life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's exactly how I feel. Have you ever, like, like spent a night stalking me outside my house? 
No, just during the day. Then you're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love you. I love you. Are you so afraid of? Just do it. You're gonna regret it. You're going to regret it. Okay. Just go in there and say it. Just go in there and do it. Yep, I'm coming. Wow. Oh yeah, that's wild. Um, I just but I just wanted to say, um, Ben, I love lamp. I love, I love the lamp. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Good movie, Anchorman's a good movie. Okay, bye. Wait, did I do something? Nope. Yeah, that's hard to watch, right? <laughs> but but who here can relate to that? It, who, who's been in a relationship? Ken and I, when we were on uh, our Valentine's Day date, like I said, we were reminiscing over the years, and I asked her, I said, do you remember the first time I said I love you? And she said, I'm so sorry, uh, but I don't. And I said, good, because I'm sure it was awkward, and I was sweaty and gross, and I, I, it probably came out all wrong, right? But, but if you're in that stage of relationship, it, it's awkward, it's difficult. Uh, why is that? Why? Be, because love is a heavy thing. We understand that, right? And there's a lot, there's a lot riding on the word love in romantic relationships. Before you drop the L-bomb, right, to your significant other, you, you want to make sure that you, you, you feel it and you know it and you want to make sure that it's right. And so there, there's a lot riding on the word love in our romantic life and, and I would say even more so in our spiritual lives, right? Even more so. So I don't have a video for this, but in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, you can uh, write this in your notes because we're not going to read the whole thing. But 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, the gist of it is, are these three words, God is love. God is love. So your understanding of love affects directly your understanding of God, right? There's a lot riding on this word love. John 13, verses 34 through 35. Again, this is just a part of that passage, but it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are disciples. Okay, there it is. Uh, you are my disciples. So John 13, it says, your love for one another, that, that's how the world defines you as a Christian, right? So not only uh, do we define our God by love, but the world defines us and sees us and understands us as disciples of Christ by, by how we demonstrate love. There's a lot riding on the word love. But just as uh, important as love may be, love is also just a very difficult word to define, especially in our language, right? In, in the Sanskrit, there's 96 different words for love. In Arabic, there's 20 plus different words for love. In Greek, there's four words for love. And in English, we just got the one word love, right? And so I could say, I love pizza. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love lamp, right? And, uh, and it's just one word, but all of those things have different meanings, right? And so as much as there is riding on the word love, love can be sometimes a difficult and complicated thing to, to, to understand fully. 
And so a practice that I have um, every few years or so, if I don't read this, then I at least uh, skim through and look at my notes that I've highlighted. But one of my favorite books by one of my favorite authors is this book, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And so uh, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. And, and The Four Loves is really great because he takes the Greek words for love and gives each of them a chapter, and he talks about what that different kind of love is like. And uh, for me, I like to think about it as um, like categories of love. And so uh, the first of these categories, or one of these categories, is, is the Greek word eros, which means romantic or sexual love. It's the kind of love uh, 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 you have for your spouse, right? How, how a person loves their husband or how a person loves their wife, and then there's this kind of love called friendship, and that's companionship or camaraderie. Obviously, that's how a person loves their friend. And then there's this word called charity, and and charity, it, it that's how it's translated. Uh, how C.S. Lewis translates that, but but charity is really this Greek word agape. A lot of us are familiar with the word agape. Charity is kind of a cheap word in our language, right? It just means, you know, loose change that you throw in a jar. But, but charity love, agape love, it is the most expensive of loves, right? Charity love, agape love is a supernatural God love. And so if, if, if love was a journey, right, charity or agape love, it would be like all the way over here at the finish line. Or, or really beyond the finish line, because it's beyond uh, what we can even do in our own ability or might. It's the way that God loves us. And so if charity love, agape love, is all the way down there at the finish line, there's another fourth kind of love, and it's affection love, and it's all the way over here at the start, right? It's just basic, instinctual, natural kind of love. And so if eros is how a person loves their spouse and friendship is how a person loves their friend, affection is how a person loves the rest of the world. It's just, it's a fondness. It's an appreciation for people and things, right? So affection, this is how C.S. Lewis uh, defines it. He says it's the humblest and most widely diffused of loves, the love in which our experience seems to differ least from that of the animals. It's just, it's, it's, anim it's, it's basic, right? It's uh, the, the start of love. And I would argue, and we're going to talk mostly about this kind of love tonight, because this is the kind of love, that affection love is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about in Luke 10. When he talks about and tells the story of the good Samaritan. And if there is a lot riding on the word love for us as 21st century Christians, for the guy who approaches Jesus in Luke 10, there's, there's even more for him riding on the word love. In, in Luke chapter 10, this guy comes to Jesus. And your text might, or, or your uh, translation of the story might say that he was a lawyer. Um, but, but really, that doesn't mean like our lawyers, right? They're not like, he's not like an attorney. It, it meant that he was an, a religious expert uh, in the law, that he really studied. I love how they were talking about the pocket protector, right? He was one of those guys, right, who had a pocket protector and was in the front row of every class and had all these questions. And so he has a question for Jesus. He says, how do you inherit eternal life? 
And, uh, and so Jesus says, well, you look, I see your pocket protector, right? You look like a smart guy. So you tell me, in all your studies, wh- what have you discovered? What, what, what have you found out about eternal life? And so the guy says, well, well, love. In order to inherit eternal life, you must love. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, great, gold star, right? Good job, kid. And, uh, and so he could have walked away and been like, okay, that was cool. But, but again, he's that annoying kid at the front row of your class who has all the questions and all the answers. And so he had a follow-up question. And we give this guy a lot of flack for this question because the way we see it, we, we think about it like he's trying to get out of love, right? He, he, he says, you know, he has just said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so he follows up with, by saying, well, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And if you understand the word for love that he used when he asks Jesus the question, then, then maybe you might understand why uh, he, he would be asking for a follow-up. When, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your might, right, and, and love your neighbor as yourself, he uses the word agape, right? That, that supernatural, crazy God love that is unnatural for us. And so it makes sense, right? He's like, yo, that love is crazy. That, that's a lot for one person to have to handle, to, to have to love like that. So surely that's not how I have to love everybody, right? There's, there's got to be a special group of people that that love is dedicated to. And so that's why he says, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus answers that question like he answers lots of questions, not directly and, uh, and, and not uh, with one layer. But he answers with a story and with lots of layers. And he answers with a story. The man comes up to Jesus and asks him, who do I love? But Jesus responds by, by answering how to love. And rather than illustrating charity love, that agape crazy love that the guy was was talking about when he asks Jesus the question, Jesus actually instead illustrates affection, that basic, right, starting line kind of love. It was kind of like Jesus was saying, you think that you're ready for like the big stuff down here, but let me, let me start you off with, with just like the appetizer for love, right? Let, let's start with the basics. And so Jesus, he never actually uses the Greek word storge, which is the word that C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis uses for uh, affection, but, but there's lots of clues throughout the, the text in Luke chapter 10 that help us understand that that is, in fact, the kind of love he was talking about. So our first clue is in verse 31, uh, and, and it comes with this phrase, by chance. Everybody say, by chance. So by chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So I have a question. I don't know if you guys do participation moments here, but we do it at Newport News a lot. So question, just uh, honest moment. Who here had some sort of stuffed animal or object that you really loved or, and were attached to as a kid? All right, so anyone willing to admit the name of that toy or the, the object? What was it? Magilla the gorilla, but he was a mouse. That's awesome, okay? Magilla the gorilla, yeah. 
Boo Boo Bunny. I love it. Oh, was that the name of yours, Morgan? Bunny Boo Boo. Whoa. They were like cousins or something, right? Anybody else? Another name? Yes. Boo Boo Bear. Shut up. Family reunion in here. What? That's crazy. All right. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, a lot of us, right, we can remember our attachment toys, our comfort objects. So I happen to have mine with me. I, I'm offended by Nate calling him kibbles and bits, right? No, this is Willoughby. And uh, Willoughby was my boo-boo bear or whatever you guys said. Uh, he was my comfort toy that I was attached to as a kid. And so um, my mom had, has kept him all these years, and she, when I moved out the house, she um, gave him to me. And so he's been, uh, don't worry, not sleeping in the bed with me, but in the attic, right? And, uh, and after my wife and I had our daughter, I remember I went up to the attic and found him up there, and I was so excited because this is Willoughby, right? And so I come down, and I'm like, Hannah, look, I found Willoughby. She's like, okay. I'm like, you know what this means? We can give this to Selah, my daughter, right? And she can play with him, and, and he can become her toy. And she's looking like, no way is that thing ever getting close to our precious daughter. I mean, he's cobwebbed and dusty, and his eyes are crooked, and I don't even know what he is. Like, how would you even explain that to her? And so uh, she, you know, Willoughby was in the closet for a few more months, and then she finally gave in and, and you know, Gave him a bath and put him and deep cleaned him and then gave him to Selah. But so so that's Willoughby. That's mine. This is Boots. This is my daughter's version of Willoughby. This is her comfort toy. And uh, as as much as my wife hated and was disgusted by Willoughby, that's how much I am disgusted by Boots. Right. Uh, I, my wife and I, we are not animal people, like, at all. We will never have a cat or a dog. Um, and so this just looks way too lifelike for me. It's very furry, and it looks like a cat. And the creepiest thing is, is hold on. It sounds like a cat. Yeah, gross. So anyway, but this is Willoughby. This is Boots, in case you were wondering why, who in the world they were. Not kibbles and bits. But, um, and so, so, okay, those of you who, who confessed that, that you had some toy that you were attached to as a kid, do you remember a time, do you remember the time, the moment that you decided that Willoughby was going to be the one, or boo-boo boots, right? Do you, do you remember a specific reason? Boo-boo boots, that wasn't one. But do, do you remember a specific reason or, or, or the specific time? Probably not, right? Most of us in this room would say, I, I'm not really sure why I, I was drawn to that toy or that blankie or that object. It just, it kind of, it happened to be there. Right? It was just the toy that was in my crib by chance. And, and because of that, I became attached to it. C.S. Lewis says in his chapter on affection, he says, We can sometimes point to the very day, an hour when we fell in love, romantic love, or, or began a new friendship. I doubt if we ever catch affection beginning. To become aware of it is to become aware that it has already been going on for some time. What is he saying? He's saying we as human beings, we tend to grow a, a basic kind of love and affection for things that just happen to be there by chance, right? 
we just we grow a fondness and an attachment to things there by chance uh, uh, who, who happen to be there. And so if we go back to our story, we see a priest walking home from work one day and he sees a man who's been beaten half to death laying on the side of the road naked, and it says, by chance, he happens to walk by him and see him, and yet he continues to walk down the road. Not only does the priest fail at this love over here, at the charity agape love, but he, he didn't even get it right at the starting line. Couldn't even show affection for him just because he happened to be there in need. And it's easy. Many of us, right, we've heard this story many times before. It's easy for us to judge the priest on the outside of the story looking in. But I wonder, if someone were to look into your story, who are the people on the side of your Who Who are the people on the margins of your story that you see by chance on a daily basis, who happen to be there. You're, you're, you're a cashier at Food Lion, right? You're, you're barista that you see at Starbucks, the bus driver that picks your kids up for school, your boss, your coworkers. Who are the people in your life, your roommate, right, who, who happen to be there by chance, and are you showing them love? I think it's interesting, C.S. Lewis uh, includes familial love in, in his uh, definition, his understanding of affection. He's saying the way that you love your mom and dad and brother and sister, it's the same kind of love that, that you love your, your, your coworker or your neighbor or your roommate. Why? Because they're just people who happen to be there. They didn't merit it. You didn't choose them, but they, they happen to be in your story. So, the people who happen to be in our lives, they can sometimes be the easiest, but also the hardest to love. Just because uh, they aren't in your life by choice, it doesn't give you the right to deny your affection. I think this especially ap- applies in families. I think sometimes you can uh, be in a situation or in a relationship with a family member and you think, man, I really feel like I- I'm in the wrong family. <laughs> I don't belong here because everybody else is way different than me, right? Or, or there's people in your family that are difficult to, to deal with, or maybe even hard to love. And, and what you need to understand is that None of us inherit our family because of anything that we've done, good or bad, right? They're just people who happen to be there by chance. And just because we didn't choose them doesn't mean we get off from loving them. We still have to love. And so the first clue that Jesus is talking about this basic affection kind of love is his use of the phrase by chance. The second clue is his use of this word, looked. Everybody say, looked. So verse 32, the story continues, and it says, A temple assistant, your translation might say Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. The word looked here in the Greek is the word horao, which means to stare at, to discern clearly, to perceive, to experience. 
It's not just a peripheral, mechanical kind of, of, of vision, of sight, that, that, that he sees this man on the side of the road. It, it, it's the kind of sight where he saw and understood the need, fully comprehended what was going on. So I have another question for you guys tonight. Who here hates traffic? I, <laughs> Amy's hand was like, <sighs> quick draw, right? I hate traffic. All right, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. So who here hates traffic? Probably most of us, right? With your hands still raised, don't lie because you're in the house of God and you will be struck down, right? Don't lie, but, but who here who hates traffic would admit that when you see a car crash or an accident on the side of the road, you slow down just slightly to look what's going on. Keep your hand raised if that's you. All right. All you people are the problem, right? Find these people outside. I'm just kidding. Catch, catch me outside, right? No, I, if we're honest, because some of y'all lying, hands went down. Come on. I know you at least you slow down just a little bit to look out your window to see what's going on out there. Why is that? We, we have this in, instinct in us as human beings to hurrah to look when we see human tragedy, right? And so, I have another question, but this time don't raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. How many of you, how many of you, when you uh, see, uh, you're stopped at a red light and you see a homeless man on the side of the road, your response isn't to look, but maybe your response is to look away, to avert your eyes. If we were to raise our hands, probably most, if not all of us, would, be, would have to admit that at some point we've, we've looked away, we've avoided eye contact with that homeless person. So why is that? Why is it that, that we're drawn to human tragedy in one sense and in one instance, but, but, but repelled by it in another there was a study done in 2011 uh, by some psychologists that gives us the answer. And, and their solution, uh, their, their answer to this question is, is cost. So in their study, they, they found out this phenomenon and named it the escaping affect. And what it is, they, they uh, got a group of people and they put them in a room and uh, they gave them some information about some children uh, in Darfur who uh, were, were, were victims of the Civil War in Darfur and who then became uh, child refugees and had to flee their country and, and were in poverty and, and gave this story about uh, what their circumstances were. And it says in, in that room, you could see there was an indication on most everybody's faces how, how disturbed they were, how hurt they were, how compassionate they felt for those people, right? Step out, go into a different room, different group of people, same story uh, about those same children in Darfur, except this time they start off by giving uh, an expectation. If you, if you uh, feel so compelled, you can give. You can donate to these children and, and help them out. And they said the ones who had the expectation to give, when they heard the story, their emotions, it was like there was no indication of care or concern on their face. What was the difference between the two? It was, it was cost. The idea that this is going to cost me something if I care. The psychologists uh, who did that study said that, that we all, it's not that we don't have an instinct to care, we have it, but we also have this mechanism that, that we can turn down the dial on our emotions, turn down the dial on our compassion. 
right, when we feel that instinct to care. And I would say the, the Levite or the temple assistant, he was one of those people where he walked by, he hurrahed, he looked and saw and fully comprehended the need, but he turned down the dial of his emotions. I'm not going to get emotionally involved. I'm not going to uh, have any compassion for this person because it might cost me something. Again, it's, um, it's not that, that, uh, that we don't have the impulse to care. We just, we've learned to regulate our emotions when it costs. And again, we can look at that Levite and judge him based on his actions. But really, when people look into your life and they look into your story, we can probably all think of some people whose needs we fully comprehend. Coworkers, baristas, or, or, or family members even who, who have need, but we've turned the dial down on our emotions, on our, our caring, on our compassion, and have walked by them time and time again without offering to help. C.S. Lewis says, affection teaches us first to notice, then to endure, then to smile at, then to enjoy, and finally appreciate the people who happen to be there. First notice, then endure. First, hurrah-o. Just because you hurrah-o, just because you notice and feel that instinct to care, it doesn't mean that you've crossed the threshold of love. You've got to endure. So what are the needs that you've noticed in the people on the margins of your story, but you've ignored instead of endured? You've understood and fully comprehended, but, but, but you, you haven't felt the need or felt emotionally compelled to give or to care or to love. The third clue we have in this story that Jesus is talking about, this basic affection kind of love, is the word uh, compassion. And he says in verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So the Greek word for compassion is a word that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. It is that word up there. So if you uh, want to try to get up here on the microphone and say that, feel free. Anybody? Any takers? No. Okay. Didn't think so. Well, then neither will I, right? Um, so, so my favorite part about this is this is like the phonetic spelling underneath, and I'm like, who does that help? It does not help me at all. So I, I just was like, okay, I'll put a slide up, and the people will be able to see. But if you understand the, the definition or, of this word then for compassion, then maybe you might understand why it looks so ugly. Because the root of this word for compassion, it, it literally means inward parts, entrails, heart, lungs, liver, kidney, bowels. Gross, right? My wife said cute. Cute. Why is that? What, what, do all, what does all of that have to do with compassion? What, what I think and how I see it. Compassion, the type of passion, compassion that, that Jesus is talking about in this story, it's a gut level kind of compassion. It's visceral. It's natural, right? And so it's as if the Samaritan, when he walks on by, the, the person in need on the side of the road, it's as if someone punched him in the stomach. And he felt just this instinctive, uh, uh, natural kind of gut feeling like, oh, of compassion for him. 
So why does Jesus choose to use this ugly word for compassion? I think he uses it to, to show us that compassion is not something to accomplish, right? It's something uh, that, that is a natural reaction to those in need. It should be something gut level, something visceral. When we see a need, we should oh, feel that punch in our stomach called compassion. Another interesting and ugly word that Jesus uses in this story is the word Samaritan. And for us to fully understand uh, and you know, what the people in that audience would have felt. We, we can't really grasp it with our uh, culture because our culture is different. But the closest thing I, I could do is, is this. So um, let's say if I were to tell this story and I, I said, Pastor Justin, right, he, he's the head of, of this campus and he's, you know, the, the picture uh, and your example of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Let's say that Pastor Justin walked out uh, of church one Saturday night and saw a man half dead on in the parking lot and just kept on walking. Many of you would be shocked by that, right? Pastor Justin would never do that. And that's exactly the feeling that the people would have thought about the priest. Like, whoa, that, that's crazy. Okay, moving on. The temple worker. So there's a progression, right? There's, there's Pastor Justin. And then for this, I'm going to say Nate Nowotny. And so Nate Nowotny, he's a leader at this campus. And, uh, and so Nate Nowotny leaves the church and he sees a man uh, on, on, in the parking lot and he doesn't do anything about it. Maybe you might not be surprised about that. No, just kidding. He, he would totally help. He would totally help. Right, but, but it's the next level in the progression, right? Someone in leadership, someone who should be an example of what it looks like to love and to have compassion. And so he leaves, and he walks by the person in the parking lot and doesn't do anything. Now, who do you think I would say next? You'd probably guess, who would you say? <laughs> There you go, right? So, so if you're sitting in, in, in here, right, and, you, and I was telling that story, you didn't know this before, there's a natural progression going. You might think maybe, uh, maybe me or maybe the person next to me would be the next person. They're looking for the person in the story who, who represents them, right? But instead, exactly like you said, right, instead it's as if he, he says uh, a, a Muslim extremist, someone from ISIS uh, uh, walks out, and sees this man on the side of the road and has compassion. The word Samaritan would have been just as racially and religiously and politically charged as the word Samaritan back then. And so why does Jesus use that word? I've got two reasons in closing. The first is this. I think it forced the listeners to identify with the man in need. The listeners would have been thinking, okay, there's going to be someone coming in the story who represents me. The priest comes, that's not it. The, 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 the uh, Levite comes, that's not it. Surely the next person. And when he said Samaritan, it would have been like how you would think about uh, someone in ISIS, right? That is definitely not me. So who's left in the story for, for them to identify with? No one but the man half dead on the side of the road. True compassion only comes out of a revelation of your own need. Unless you allow yourself to identify with those in need, you're never going to be able to love. You're never going to be able to show affection or, or to show compassion. It's why uh, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so what we learn from this is that it doesn't take a super spiritual, rigidly religious person to love compassionately. All it takes is the willingness to identify with the person in need. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up as I make just this last point. But why, why does Jesus use the word Samaritan? First reason, I think it forced them to identify with the man in need. And the second, because it emphasized the how and not the who. After Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in verse 36, it says, he asks the man who asked the question, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? So when the man came to Jesus, he asks him, who do I need to be a neighbor to? The neighbor represents the recipient, the receiver of love. But, but in Jesus' answer, he, he makes the, the neighbor the active one. The one giving love, he says, who was the neighbor to the man? He wants him to focus not on the who, but on the how. Not on the who, but on the action. Verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him compassion, that was the one who acted like a neighbor. I find it interesting that the man, he couldn't even say Samaritan. That's how, that's how charged that word was. And so he ends up saying the one who showed compassion, the one who showed mercy, which emphasized the action again. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The man, he comes to Jesus asking about who? Asking about the object of love, but Jesus answers with the action, the how. C.S. Lewis says that affection is the least uh, discriminative, it's the most indiscriminate of loves. It does not discriminate, right? It doesn't ask who. It doesn't ask if this person is worthy or if this person is worth my time or how well am I going to click with them or, or, or how much uh, is it going to cost? It doesn't ask who, it asks how. And guess what? That's just the start. That, that's just the beginning of love. And so as we leave here tonight, I just, I want to encourage you because we, we all do this, right? We're, we're constantly, whether we say it out loud or whether it's in our head, constantly trying to discern who's worthy of my time today at work. Who, who, whose story do I not have time for, right? Who's, whose need is really a need today, right? Who, who's, who, who, who's easy to love? Who do I get along with? Whether we say it or not, we're constantly discriminating who we love. But Jesus doesn't answer with the who because the assumption is we love everyone. Everyone is our neighbor. Instead, he tells us how. When you see a need, just, just meet it. Just meet it. We're going to go back into uh, our worship songs. So I want to invite you to stand up, but, but let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. God, thank you that you love us, that you see our needs. And if we were on the side of the road, God, that you would, you would stop and you would find us and you would help us. But Lord, help us to be that kind of person. God, help us not to discriminate when it comes to love. Help us to, to let our guards down. Help us to not be so concerned with the cost of love. God, motivate us to start the race, to start the journey 
of love and with the simple and easiest of love, compassion. Just the basic instinct to, to feel the needs of others around us and to love back. As we worship you tonight, remind us of how much you love us and help us to love just the same.